And this is for your satisfaction. You listening? <laughs> yeah, all my tastes, all my jokes I get from Rachel. I'll say that. Yeah, I don't I don't have much of an internet presence. I don't have any internet presence. So if Matt makes a really funny joke, it's probably mine. Yeah, just myself. <laughs> not, all all not of true. his not always true, but I'm just all... saying this because I want to make her yeah. happy. So I so what we're saying is that ev- everything Matt has ever done has been influenced by some degree by Rachel. Got it. <laughs> That's what my my grandpa says too. He he goes. You know, you know, when you get, uh, you know, that big photography award, just remember an acceptance speech. You guys say, I owe it all to my grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) So will Rachel take credit for that photo in American Bulgaria? She was in it. (laughs) She was in there, though. She's blushing now. (laughs) We we referenced that photo in uh the last episode this is the, this is the connected tissue of the two <laughs> this will be like the this will be the cold open to the episode this little this little segment join me is a very special guest someone who uh has a little bit of part to play in 
the last guest uh, video game storyline, and that is Rachel. How are you doing tonight, Rachel? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no. I have to thank you because you uh, asked to do this because I remember I was posting about Space Channel 5 and Matthew's like, listen, my girlfriend is a huge fan of the of these games and sh- you need to do a Space Channel 5 episode. I was like, that's perfect. Like, <laughs> I wanted to do a Space Channel 5 episode for the longest time. I just didn't know who would want to talk about the, these these two bizarre special little games but i'm so glad that someone uh took the challenge on so to say so thank you very much yeah it's so funny because like i don't think i've ever met another person that's like played or is familiar or has played the game Mm -hmm. so when matt told me you were you wanted to have this podcast i was like absolutely like (laughs) yeah i mean yeah like no one most like i would say 95 percent of people have never heard of space channel 5 and then probably of the five percent who do know what it is have not played it uh like <laughs> like three percent of that fi- special five percent have like not played it uh so that's not at the top percentile <laughs> yeah oh yeah and matthew's here as uh as to chirp in here time I'm to time gallery in this one <laughs> listen this this is the 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 special duology episode resident evil and space channel 5 uh, we're definitely i like your um your imagery before like let's transcend the darkness and then fly into <laughs> I, I mean they are polar opposites if we if if two game franchises were probably exact opposites of each other it would be these two um and happening but... at similar times too yeah exactly uh yeah like r- late 90s early 2000s so it, it's all connected it's part of the plan of the show mm-hmm. um but rachel as the as a first time guest and uh in tradition of this little podcast that i have i asked for a time first time guests uh their game history where is it start favorite games of their childhood or as they've gotten older i know matthew briefly touched upon sort of your favorite games when me and he me and him talked so i want to hear straight from the source where is rachel's game history start yeah so um i feel like my game history probably started like before my conception <laughs> uh, <laughs> my parents have always played video games both my mom and my dad and i my older siblings played video games so I've always been surrounded by it. Um, Yeah, so I was the youngest child, and I always got, like, the leftover consoles and leftover games. So whenever (laughs) I get my hands on that, that's what my uh, origins, I guess, come from. (laughs) I love that. What were your parents playing? Um, My mom used to be obsessed with, like, PS2, like, medieval and uh, (laughs) this. uh, I love that what's that like alien like odds world or odds yeah uh yeah yeah odd world abe's odyssey (laughs) yeah and my dad like was always really into horror games which i think is probably my favorite uh genre of games still Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. um for favorite games i probably would say like space channel 5 is definitely up there um Mm -hmm. but i love the resident evil franchise um silent hill fatal frame uh, Mm -hmm. American McGee's Alice. Uh, oh, nice, nice one. Yeah, um, yeah. cultured yeah. taste. <laughs> a 
refined. Well, <laughs> what, what was your first console? Um, probably the Dreamcast, I think. Yeah. yeah. Even more cultured. Uh, <laughs> not not many people can say that like the Dreamcast was their first console. Like it's either like some Nintendo thing yeah. or a PlayStation. <laughs> well, I gotta chime in because it is interesting. Like I I feel like there are different strains. Like you have different um kind of paths of music taste. Like people who kind of get into like rock and then that almost like in a video game you choose like a different path um Mm -hmm. like i was on the like nintendo path Mm -hmm. but i think rachel had more of the because the nintendo leads to like very like rounded edges like child friendly games but you were on from an early age on to the like adult console adult gaming type. yeah yeah i feel like um like back then consoles were sort of marketed towards adults and not really towards kids at least my older brother um he was always playing like the sort of rated r or or mature games uh but i i got my hands on the dreamcast because like around that time he had like gotten that special pikachu edition game boy which Uh i Story. Tell the story. Yeah, tell the story. I was I was pretty a vicious uh, uh, child. I like took his uh, Game Boy and like you know threatened to throw it over the balcony if he didn't share it. And then I <laughs> dropped it. And then yeah. I dropped it. <laughs> um. Yeah. Pretty pretty bad. I'm... That would have been worth something today <laughs> too. <laughs> um. Yeah. But yeah, the Dreamcast was my first console. Um. I. You know, we, we briefly talked about some of the Dreamcast games like Soul Calibur, Crazy Taxi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my dad got uh, Space Channel 5 for me as like, a, you know, one of those girly pop games to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, hey, that's fair because the producer was like, how do I get the female demographic? <laughs> so he, he makes it. Yes, exactly. And let's also put Michael Jackson in the game. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to the space, Michael. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous thing to say space, Michael. But did you have a separate PS1, then PS2, or you just started on the PS2? It's funny because, like, when I was younger, I always thought, um, I never thought of the Dreamcast as its own separate, like, uh, console, like, uh, company. Like, I always thought that the Dreamcast was, like, a precursor to, like, the PlayStation, um, mm-hmm. which is funny because when Sega, I guess, like, disbanded, those, like, franchises moved on to either Xbox or PlayStation. Mm-hmm. So I had I had a PS1. I also had an Xbox 360. So whatever floated just kind of came to me. <laughs> whatever. You're kind of like me because I'm also the youngest and, like my earliest memories was like a ps1 i don't remember my parents getting what it, it just kind of magically appeared in our house <laughs> it was like and then that was the same thing with the ps2 i never asked my parents for it it's like oh just now was in the house and now it's all mine yeah it was like oh i'm allowed to play with this now it's mine <laughs> yeah it uh there are some benefits to being the youngest sibling when it comes to games because your parents are just like, eh, whatever, like here, entertain yourself or whatever. Uh, and if you if you beg and plead just just enough and with the right tone, they will cave. Yeah. And and if I could say that's still the case, um, 
my dad got himself the PS5 and and I got his leftover PS4 so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just yeah it's just like I th I believe um uh Zane said that too like he would get the console like he's a console generation behind everyone yeah, yeah. Just, which I I love that that's also just a thing for people it's like well Someone in the family has graduated. I get everything from them. It's like yeah, the, the, it's the inheritance, <laughs> the video game inheritance uh, <laughs> policy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I am glad that someone on I, anytime someone has like a Dreamcast connection, I'm always super happy to hear. Just because I think you know it's the little system that you know very fitting of its name. It was a dream and. Mm -hmm. It feels like a time gone by uh, of the past that unfortunately was just kind of crushed by not only competition, but just uh, Sega's own bad decisions leading up to it. Um, yeah. It's but... funny, um, like how Rachel, because it was sort of like the family inheritance that led you to playing that. And we're born the same year. I didn't even, I literally didn't know this console existed until like a year or two ago. But mm -hmm. Sam, Sam, how old are you? I'm 28. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're all, you know, uh, we're mid, mid to middle ish 20 somethings. But, but it is interesting, like, you know, um, maybe like a few year gap or just the circumstance. But I didn't, you know, I can't believe I didn't even know about this. In, um, in all fairness, even I didn't know about it when I was a kid. Like, yeah. I didn't figure out, I didn't hear about a Dreamcast until, like, I started using my parents' computer, and, like, I saw videos, like, top 10 Dreamcast games. Like, what's a Dreamcast? Uh, <laughs> and apparently it's the greatest video game console no one's ever heard of, which <laughs> pretty much is true. Like, every single, like, there's just so many amazing, cool, and unique games, like, like you know space channel 5 obviously for example but like crazy taxi or shenmue or mm -hmm. uh virtual echo fighter yeah echo the dolphin like <laughs> jet jet grind radio choo choo rocket like all these bizarro little games but apparently like it's the the epitome of you had to be there type console like most everyone nowadays, it's like you either have a PlayStation or Xbox or a, computer, or a Switch or whatever, and millions of people own it. But the Dreamcast, like only I think the official number is like ten million of these things were sold in the, in yeah. its lifetime. So it feels like a exclusive club to not only know about it but to own it at the same time. Yeah, and it's so interesting to think about the Dreamcast because it's like a console that like really was kind of ahead of its time and mm -hmm. unfortunately so because it i feel like it really foreshadowed like what consoles are going to look like today mm -hmm. you know it had that like uh you know we talked briefly about like the keyboard and like the multiplayer online option which mm -hmm. for you know a console coming out in 1998 that was pretty like unheard of oh um, yeah it it yeah, it had so many things to it that were like kind of just like you had to have this in a box. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, it has four four controller parts. It it supports technically CD ROMs, but it 
it has it can connect to the internet it um trying to think of other unique little features that it had but it had that the, like little uh portable like the v game. the vmu yeah which i think is so funny because it's kind of like it's kind of like a switch right like mm -hmm. you've got like at home console that you could take with you to commute or you could take it to school or mm -hmm. whatever yeah. The yeah. <laughs> what, well, yeah whatever the kids were doing i mean m my f ever since like i properly own one like the sort of fondest of memory i have is uh playing sonic adventure and the fact that you could take your chows on the go and you can play little games on the vmu uh, to help boost its stats that you can bring over to the main game later on. Like, th that's all stuff I really like. I mean, certain games didn't utilize it to its fullest ability, but the fact that, like, your controller... Like, your controller is basically, like, semi-alive, I guess you could put it. Yeah. Um, that, pre that predated, like, you know, modern consoles were, like... The PlayStation controller now has like a little LED light that like changes depending on the situation. Like mm -hmm. in certain games, it's like, oh, green is for your health. And if it's green, it's good. If it's red, it's bad. Like you're about mm -hmm. to die, mm -hmm. which I think Code Veronica on the Dreamcast does. If I remember, it actually shows you your your status on the VMU. Um, it's just it's all these little things that just kind of add up to it. And out of the the just the whole aesthetics of the Dreamcast feels so timeless too. Like, um, like if you were to look at something like the Xbox, the original one, like that mm -hmm. feels so early two thousands, like college frat bro aesthetic. Like, yeah. Meanwhile, the Dreamcast, this is like Japanese, like primo, like ethereal, uh, kind of just spacey cloudy aesthetic that just feels timeless to this day like i can i can hear the boot up sound in my head uh where the little a dot bounces on the letters and forms the spiral yeah i, I love this like imagery you're painting for the dreamcast because you know earlier today i was like trying to look up some commercials for the dreamcast mm -hmm. and like they all have that like you know, five gum feel like yeah. feel your senses, uh, you know, um, that's so true. Well, it like the phrase is like, it's thinking, uh, it's, <laughs> you like, know, it's like my favorite tagline for a console. It's thinking. Yeah. Like it's like this like superpower computer that's going to like revolutionize the future. Oh yeah. And how like every inside your Dreamcast is like, every character from every game and they're like hanging out like it's one giant party mm -hmm. um yeah, sonic is djing uh... <laughs> um yeah sonic's djing all the characters are at line in the dmv to, to like the crazy taxi one where the characters are at line for the dmv and one of the one of the crazy taxi characters is like holding up the line because uh the DMV lady is just like, you're out of your mind. You drive like an insane person. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it, it really kind of just makes the Dreamcast feel like it feels in a weird sense, like you said, like the supercomputer that just is like ready to kind of take control and 
do all these things for you. But on the other hand, it's like this really welcoming, like really friendly out there, just wild time ready to be had. And all these, you know, so many of the games for it, you just see it like, I mean, Space Channel 5 obviously is a great example of it, but we'll get to that late, later. But you had all like the various sports games that were just like that much better on Dreamcast. Like, I still will always vouch for Scott to putting me on Virtua Tennis. Um, <laughs> that is a legit fun game. Like, everyone should play Virtua Tennis on the Dreamcast if you have one. Um, Echo the Dolphin. Zach put me onto the Dreamcast version of that one too. Like, <laughs> uh, or like, um, one game I really love is Soul Calibur. Like, where yeah. they, where th- that game turns like the concept of history into like a grand stage of fighting. And it feels just so like ahead of its time. Like, the graphics are amazing and it's so grandiose and epic and all like all these superlative words for it like Like the lore is so rich i i used to always be fascinated by soul caliber because i was like like who are these people and like why are they fighting Mm -hmm. (laughs) why is this happening but yeah exactly it's just like who are who are these people what are they doing why is like they're this announcer it's like the stage of history like Mm -hmm. it's this very it's like pageantry to it all. Like every game has its own like distinct identity separate from each other. Like, like I think of Dead or Alive 2 is like mm-hmm. another fascinate like fantastic. And I've talked about Dead or Alive on the show with Matthew, uh Australian Matthew, not uh Matthew who's sitting next to Rachel. <laughs> I was about to say, what is you what do no, you I think don't about know. Better? I think about that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a there are a lot of Matthews in the third place extended universe. Uh <laughs> in the at the the uh uh the X uh podcasting circle to uh title pending uh sector we all inhabit. Um <laughs> that's another it, game that I like had inherited from my older sibling and I only know that that's a true fact because it was like the dead or alive beach volleyball. Uh, <laughs> oh, like, Oh, classic the beach. Yeah. yeah, which the... like as a ten-year-old, I probably should not have been playing this, but fine. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was but... like the latter half. I just have to add to the what you were saying about the Dreamcast is that it's like the perfectly Y two K, but on the late nineties side. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like because that was kind of about like optimism about technology. The yeah. Um, the f- the future is going to be so great, guys. Yeah, I mean, now we live in like um scary world like post, you know, AI. Mm-hmm. And so like the Dreamcast had this like uh clean promising um fun like kind of bounciness to it. And mm-hmm. then like on the other side you had like I'm just thinking about the GameCube and things like Metroid Prime. It's like it's kind of Y2K in a different way. If that makes sense. It's like yeah. a little, a little darker. It's like the you got the bright and then the dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, and you, there's a clear divide because the Dreamcast is grouped in with the PS2, the GameCube, and the Xbox, and the the latter three feel so different from the Dreamcast. And 
they all came ps2 was 2000 and the gamecube and the xbox were 2001 and yeah there, there's a clear divide between the two and uh i think zach and i mentioned this in our episode on sonic where like the dreamcast it, the dreamcast existence kind of exists in this pre 911 world that we have that you know people were in where everything is a lot more optimistic about everything like technology is going to be way more advanced games are going to be way more graphically fide- you know amazing whatever term you could use for that you know there's so many possibilities to it all and it's not to say the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox didn't have that energy. It was just a different flavor yeah. where it's much more like these are things, even the GameCube, like these are things for like teenagers and young adults. Like this, you know, the games are uh, more realistic looking. They have much more dark subject matters and all this stuff. And the Dreamcast kind of exists in its own weird little uh purgatory separate from the other three it's very like pure and wholesome and i think the other consoles were just meant for adults like i remember you know the marketing for Mm -hmm. like playstation being the sort of like grotesque uh (laughs) imagery of like i don't i can't even it's like a horror movie kind of style advertising just mm-hmm. to get people into the console that it's not for kids it's for adults but the dreamcast was like completely the opposite i think mm-hmm. yeah like the dreamcast feels just like it, it feels like a system that was like i guess you could say made for everyone um, yeah i was gonna say it's not distinctly for children either though mm-hmm. yeah it it's interesting how and I, I, not to say that the Dreamcast sort of um, making games for everyone was its downfall, but it kind of stands as like a, in a way, swan song to an era that had like kind of came and went. Um, like a lot of the Dreamcast games, like a lot of them are just kind of quick, quick pick up and play. You know, they're they're meant to just kind of be like, oh, this is like if I have free time after school or on a weekend, like they're not meant to like take forever to beat. You know, yeah. the PlayStation had like games that would last like weeks or months with all like the RPGs and all that. And that kind of carried over into latter generations. You had like an Xbox, you had Halo that like was a campaign and then you had multiplayer that kept you going through it. And meanwhile, the Dreamcast feels like kind of singular games where you just here's like a weekend game for me and then I'm kind of done with it. Um, For sure. It's it's like this really kind of melancholic swan song goodbye to like the old arcade games of the 90s, which is part of Sega's identity. You know, back in the day, all the classic arcade games. you know, you had like all the fighting games that came to it, like Marvel versus Capcom and Power Stone. Yeah, you had Matt's favorite, uh, Super Monkey Ball. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> Super <laughs> Monkey Ball. Then you had like um, I think it's called uh, 
it was the predecessor to Project Gotham Racing on the Xbox. I think it was uh, MSR, like mm -hmm. Metropolitan Street Racing. <laughs> um, it's quite the mouthful. Um, yeah, the I'm like I'm like kind of scrolling through just a list of Dreamcast games that I have on my other monitor. Like, mm -hmm. you have Samba de Amigo, uh, another classic like like little rhythm music game that was for the Dreamcast. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, every time, like the dream, every time I look at that little gray square of mine, it just kind of makes me, it, and one makes me happy, but also it's like, oh, you, you could have had so much more, you little <laughs> square, like <laughs> it, it was so sad to know that this thing only had like two years of life in, a, uh, uh, in general, and the fact you know the PS2 killed it, and the fact that Japan wasn't super huge in it into it. Uh, yeah, and I think that's just like an unfortunate circumstance of like its predecessor, the Saturn. Um, oh yeah, like, I never had a Saturn, but I <laughs> remember hearing it like how horribly it failed, and how it just like was what really put Sega like foot in the grave to begin with. Oh yeah. Uh this was a weird thing for Sega. The Saturn did pretty solidly in Japan, but it was a disaster in America. Mm -hmm. But like the Dreamcast did great in relatively speaking, it did really well in America, but didn't really move the table in Japan. Um, this, I'm, I this is like mo like moments for me with my collecting where I truly feel like a crazy person. <laughs> I, I I have a Saturn. You have a Saturn? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, it. I only have like five games for it because all Saturn games are ridiculously expensive. This was something we were talking about earlier off recording, <laughs> but like I have seen a Sega Saturn game sell for eighteen hundred dollars. Um, wow! It's a, Pan it's a Panzer Dragoon game. That's like insane. Yeah, because. <laughs> It, a lot of times, this is for the listeners, a lot of times you can determine why a game has a ridiculous price because, like, was the console popular? Did it, was it a, was the console kind of a failure? Mm -hmm. And as a result, was this game, did this game sell well when it came out? So it's like, the Saturn was not a success. Not many people owned a Saturn and not many people owned Panzer Dragoon's Vi. So it's a it's a game that costs eighteen hundred dollars to buy a physical copy of now. Wow. It's and I, I've seen like um really bad Sonic the Hedgehog games selling for like a hundred dollars for the Saturn. I'm like, why? Yeah. It's... I mean I I recently was like trying to find like a Space Channel 5 um Game Boy Advance edition because I there is a, a GBA yep. version from about part one and people are reselling it for like a hundred, hundred and thirty dollars. And that's like without a case, just like the little cartridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's may or may not work. Yeah. yeah, may or may not work. Though they granted it'll be like, Yeah, we tested it, it's okay. Listen. Sometimes these people, it's like, oh, it boots. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's, like, there's lime all over the inside of the... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I've had that where, thankfully, my store is kind enough where they actually, 
if there's an issue, they'll give you a different co- of copy of the game. Or I remember when I bought my copy of Silent Hill 2 off eBay, mm-hmm. um, it the disc on it was scratched like crazy. You could just see like rings around oh. the the on the side. I was like, oh boy. And I booted up. The game just froze on the intro. I'm like, oh no. Um, so I sent it to them and they were like, yeah, we'll we'll see if we can do anything about it. And thankfully it fixed itself, thank God. But yeah, yeah, uh video game collecting is a pain. Uh it's it's a it's pain for fun, but there's some games where I'm just like, I would really love to have you, but yeah. you're like $150. Like I, I wanna own a copy. Those, um, what do you think of those resurfacing machines? Uh I think they work. I think they work. Um because that's how I got my Silent Hill 2 copy to work. They put it through their like resurfacing machine. And I was able to play the game all the way through. Thank goodness. Um I know that they're not like if if there's a scratch, like a deep scratch, it can't it's toast. Um how, but if it, um, how much did you pay for your Silent Hill 2 copy? $80. 80 bucks. Okay. Uh, I was, was trying to find like the a Silent Hill 3 copy the other day. And... <laughs> oh, good luck finding that yeah, under. Ridiculous. Um, you know, if, if anyone is listening to your podcast who has any connections to uh, you know, Konami <laughs> or anything, but can you can you guys please remaster the games and just put yeah. them on something? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not the HD collection. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the listeners who are not informed, Silent Hill Three goes for about one hundred fifty dollars at minimum. Um, it's insane. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Silent yeah. Hill. Silent Hill is a franchise. All the copies of the games are expensive. Like the original one is two hundred dollars. I've seen. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, gr- at least grant- for like the first four games, it's it's really hard to find like an original copy. Yeah, because the yeah the HD collection everyone was so furious about it, and I would yeah. say in most cases rightly so. So everyone just bought up the all, any original copy they found in the wild, and so like any one that you see now on eBay or like at a store, they're just like, uh, yeah, you want the Silent Hill two copy, two hundred dollars, please. Um, Wait, what's wrong with the HD? The oh boy, there's a lot wrong. Um. <laughs> Wait, so, on, give, me the, give me the TLDR on it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, because I don't know remember all of it. But so, like, they didn't have the like the original voice uh voice acting for like Silent Hill Three, so they redid it. They recasted <laughs> it. And oh, weren't there missing parts to the game? Like they yeah, like the fog. Fa- you you know Silent Hill enough where like fog is like a visual thing throughout the games, like. Yeah. They they screwed up the fog where it's not good. There's like textures that are wrong, like including like text that like they replaced with Comic Sans. Um, <laughs> there's there's just they introduced a t- yeah they introduced like a whole new like amount of glitches to the games that were never there. Mm-hmm. Um, the I just remember the voice acting thing was a huge thing because ori- they didn't originally there it's so long and confusing i think that there was a conflict between the actors of the original silent hill 2 and they had to get that settled um 
to which they included it for two, but they could not for three. Because Yeah. um, I think one of the voice actors for Silent Hill 3 died. Um, so they couldn't, reca they couldn't like bring him back or approve of it for him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I, I want to say that they didn't even have the original recordings on hand. Which I, I think that's kind of insane. Like how how are those files just lost? Like Yeah, I mean, but that was a thing for the Japanese games for a long time is that they like once the game was finished, they deleted like a ton of it just because a because they didn't back then they no one had the concept of preservation for games like especially in Japan because they didn't want like their competitors to get like any advantage of them with their engines. So like a lot of there's a lot of games like from the early 2000s. backwards where a lot of their like quote-unquote gold copies which is like a final version are just not there anymore and so yeah it's like you have so you have like tons of games that have never been saved or you know i say saved in a sense ported to modern systems or and have like a physical copy you know that you just have so many examples of it and silent hill is just such a easy example because it was such it's such a cultural mainstay for a lot of people Mm -hmm. Yeah. that it's it's really sad when when you like see all this like and even today like modern remasters somehow they still screw it up like most recently the metal gear solid remasters where they screwed those up again i was like is it that hard like i'm not a game developer but like i feel like average people who do like emulation and modding could do a better job Yeah, something just kind of gets lost in translation. I was just reminiscing, like, uh, recently with Matt. I used to have, like, this jailbroken Xbox 360. And mm-hmm I had, like, the burn, uh, like, a CD burn version of Silent Hill 3, like, from, like, Pirate Bay. mm-hmm oh wow <laughs> that's amazing and I wish they still, wish they still had that, but, That yeah, that'd yeah. be like a little treasure that you'd be like, I'm never giving this up. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, for like Dolphin emulator, like they've done a really good job of, you know, any of those GameCube ROMs, like you could just play no problem. Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes down to people who are into that, like how committed they are. Like the GameCube has such like a devoted fan base that I've You know, I Dolphin was going to get it done. I think really well done, because um, people love game. Like people who had GameCube came like fanatically love GameCube games. So they're going to do whatever it means to get those games in a way that's relatively easy to access for people. Certain certain game and consoles are going to be trickier. I will admit, like I know from a fact, like. it took a long time for like certain PS2 games to emulate correctly, like literally silent Hill. Mm Like hmm it took a long time for them to get like silent Hill Two being like close enough to being like a one-to-one -one emulation. Like people are trying to emulate PS3 and that's taking forever because the PS3, PS3 was a nightmare to make games for. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I like 
last year I got the PS3 for Christmas from Matt. And before that, I tried to emulate like Lollipop Chainsaw, which I could not get anything to work except oh, yeah. getting the actual console and the actual game. Yeah. yeah. Like that was the only reason we got Rachel the PS3 so she could <laughs> that see getting it getting a PS3 in 2020 in the 2020s just for Lollipop Chainsaw is a good enough reason in my book. <laughs> uh Lollipop uh it's a fantastic little Suda 51 game that I love. Um mm-hmm. I hope the remaster doesn't butcher it. We'll see. I know. Fingers crossed. Um but what do you guys look for for a remaster? Because like the Resident Evil games are pretty unique and they like remake know, them. A... Yeah, they'll remake them and have it be different, but do you just want it to be like upscaled oh. graphics and ported over, or do you want something different? It, this is the confusing thing. Like the terminology has never been correctly like defined for remasters and remakes. Like when I think remaster, I think of it's the same game that you can play on a modern system where it has a little bit of visual enhancements and maybe it includes like extra content that was released separately. Like a remake is like a full, a remake is like a full ground up. We've completely, redone the visuals we've or we've completely changed the gameplay for a new audience um you want like the 4k remaster of the movie. yeah like it if you were to like hypothetically if i were to say here's my super monkey ball remaster matthew <laughs> and but it looks exactly the same but now it run like it can play on your 4k tv it's the exact same thing but yeah. it runs at 4k and it like is more stable and it doesn't like have bugs or anything and maybe it has some bonus content from other games included yeah Yeah, i think that's like the biggest difference between like what what resident evil 2 remake is and like a remaster yeah and but it also gets confusing because certain developers are like here's our remaster but the visuals are really different or Here's our remake, but the only change we did was like a like the visuals got remade, but it's still the same game. Like it's a weird game companies have never been clear about what like remake and remaster mean. It's it gets mm-hmm. really annoying. Um I think remakes, I think people are very clear what a remake is now, and I think remaster is in a good state now, but they're f- for like a decade, it was kind of confusing what the, like remake versus remaster meant. But it's funny uh, they did that like uh, 3D All Stars for the Switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to it, me, to me that just looks like the same as the old games. Like it wasn't. I mean, there was visual enhancement, but it wasn't anything crazy. But the point is, like, you can play Super Mario 64 yeah, on the I, Switch. But I got a GameCube. Well, not everybody does. But. I... <laughs> <laughs> but... But I've he does. He, <laughs> but this they're, is... they're coming out with this uh, Paper Mario Thousand Year Old Door re- remaster. Yeah, it again. It the the terminology is so muddy that like I've kind of. I'm gonna of... need to gatekeep it. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I want anybody playing this game. Like, you're on the Switch now. No, like I've been playing on the GameCube <laughs> since day one for twenty years. 
<laughs> since since day one, Matthew's been in the trenches playing this one game, <laughs> and no one else is allowed to play it. Shigeru no. Miyamoto, Shigeru Miyamoto came from the heavens and said, "No one else but him." Yeah, forget all the other millions of copies sold. <laughs> well, I mean, they remade Super Mario RPG from the SNES, so that looked I, pretty cool. The the graphics on that look pretty cool. Oh yeah, uh, Super Mario RPG is like legit amazing and they did a good job of maintaining the spirit i guess for a remake is it looks different but it still feels the same like yeah there has to be like an energy it's not like a quantifiable thing it's just like i have to know that the original game is still in there like i've said it before like the resident evil 2 remake and the resident evil 4 remake i can feel the original game is in those games you know what i mean they're different they're different but they're still the same I think it's also just like the developers just trying to, in a way, like honor the game and the people who, you know, are in those fandoms for those games. You know, I feel like people can can tell when a remake or a remaster is just kind of like a cash grab. Yes, Uh, yes. Like the Metal Gear Solid remasters. Holy shit. (laughs) That was that. Oh, boy. Um, It's amazing. I'll just say that because I'm a Metal Gear fan. It's like amazing how a not perfect port of those early games from 2011 or 12 is better than a 2023 version uh effort at doing that like mm-hmm. oh boy uh i can't you wait can still get a uh, madden 2024 uh updated and uh <laughs> oh my god uh the mad the state of the madden franchise that is oh boy well yeah i <laughs> The last time Matt and I went to like a retro video game store, it was like kind of like uh scary to see like just a giant pile of like Madden, uh, <laughs> like all these and, like EA sports games that nobody is playing. Yeah, exactly, and they're all like three dollars because yeah. no one want. Granted, I will want the early ones, but like no one. No general population will be like, I'm getting a PS2 so I can play NCA football 2003. Like, I really it... need to play PGA 2004. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you could be the first one. Hey, you could you could be the first one to go to a game store and just say, "Can you get me this for for, for my PS2?" I thought, you know, it's even more interesting of when we hung out with uh, your friend Josh, and he and he has the xbox and he like collects all the original like xbox games mm-hmm. and there are all these titles that like i literally have no idea to just be like there's just like a monster truck on the cover of it. <laughs> I, I don't even know like i like when it's not even a fleshed out franchise it's just like a random one-off game without with, with like no characters it's just like inanimate objects or something mm-hmm. yeah like and then yeah, it's like every console has its dedicated fan base, and they have their own little community of games that they like shelter and hold dearly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I don't know about you, Rachel, but you feel like you're ready for some Space Channel Five action. I'm ready. Okay, well, with that, we will transition to our topics, which are Space Channel. I guess Space Channel One Five One and Space Channel Five Part Two.
might just uh, <laughs> grab a chair real quick. <laughs> we've gone from we've gone from peanut gallery to uh, to active member of the chat. Uh, I was just you know I'm like steering the ship. When when I make the post, Matthew, I'm gonna put like the episode title colon with Rachel in parentheses and Matthew. <laughs> it's just like that's the it's the only way. Like you've talked enough where it's like I can't hide you. Like nah, I can't just, you can't be a surprise anymore. I'm a yapper. I got it. <laughs> He can't contain himself. Uh, you, when you said yacker, that made me all completely off tangent or topic. That made me rem reminded me of a really stupid app that was around when I was in college called Yik Yak. Oh, I remember that. Oh, it was basically anonymous Twitter, but for only people nearby you. Oh, that's funny. So, it like, people. I thought it was kind of like a Ask FM type of thing too. I don't know. Like I remember when it came out and everyone was using it, and every so like you would post something and it was anonymous, um, but people and people could only reply to you if they were like within a certain mile radius of you. Oh yeah. So, so you would just get college students like just saying like retarded stuff like left and right to each other, like. Just from sunrise to this sundown. Before Grinder, it was like, <laughs> like Grinder for retard[s]. Yeah, it's uh, it was very much like that. You had no... just gave me a yeah, <laughs> she gave me. <laughs> what is he talking about? Right now? Grinders for gays. <laughs> Grinder is a uh, is an app for the homosexual community. Uh, if you want, you want some. Uh, anonymous uh hot dongs uh at a free at a moment's notice i wouldn't know oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> listen he matthew is uh he's like the uh on the streets reporter he has to know the truth <laughs> he's he, like, he is the ulala of our generation yes exactly ah, there we go uh, you gotta right. put that in yes no this is all staying in okay good <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, now I can see it now. Matthew on the streets of like uh, of Manhattan, just be like here, here for Space Channel Five. It's Matthew, and I'm here to talk about what is this grinder, and who <laughs> and who is he? Stay tuned. <laughs> oh my God, Matthew! If you dress up as Ulala or Jaguar, I'm gonna be like. <laughs> I, I, that would be a great sight to see. Thank you also for saying his name correctly, because I I feel like I was being gaslit watching the Space Channel Five VR uh like playthrough. Um, and they introduced Jaguar, and they're like, "It's a Jaguar," and I'm like, "This is not yeah. revisionist history." <laughs> yeah, revisionist history. I I feel like they're trying to play into the whole like campiness thing it's like oh it's jaguar or whatever but it's like yeah. no the the way you say jaguar is jaguar like <laughs> it's that like hammy delivery it's not like you enunciate every part of his name it's just <laughs> it's it's the delivery that counts i'm like uh, yeah but yeah space channel five and part two uh, are two wonderful little time capsules of the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, Space Channel 5 being originally a Dreamcast exclusive, coming out in 
uh, North in December 16th, 1999 in Japan and June 6, 2000 in America. And then Space Channel Part Space Channel 5 Part 2 coming out on the PS2 uh, in America um, November 18th, 2003. Um, I love these two games mostly just because they're so different from anything that has come before and come after. It was in this like weird little period where because games now could have CD quality audio in it, they could like experiment with the concept of music rhythm games. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw this with like Parappa the Rappa uh, kind of starting this whole trend. I think there was like another, (laughs) there was the, the Spice Girls game on PS1 that I remember there's yeah. there, there's um i think it's called in the groove that was mm-hmm. another ps1 game you also had like ddr hitting the scene too like so space channel 5 kind of sits in that like music rhythm, rhythm craze that yeah. the late 90s had and still kind of continued all the way through guitar hero and rock band um but You're this is like a really important pivotal game though Yes, it we we I forced Rachel to play Donkey Konga the other night. <laughs> Terrible. The, Terrible. The rhythm on it is so off. I don't know if our TV has latency, but it, nothing's on beat. I think I would... what just happened with Donkey Konga was that they had people who had no rhythm uh make the inputs for the songs. <laughs> <laughs> It was like it wasn't even paying attention to the music. It was like stare at the visuals and then like try to match up the uh Yeah. But the other the other rhythm game Rachel loves is uh Rhythm Heaven on the DS. Oh, yeah, yeah rhythm love, heaven. I, I I love a good rhythm game. Yeah, I do too. Like yeah. I can speak from experience. Like when I first got introduced to Guitar Hero, like that was my jam for like a solid two years, two or three years. Like I I waited for the new release and I played it obsessively. Like I love music rhythm games. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one I remember is uh, Elite Beat Agents on the DS. Um, There's a lot of DS ones just because of the touch screen. I remember there was I mentioned earlier Samba de Amigo, mm-hmm. uh, which would not fly. I feel like in the modern day. <laughs> um, what else? They're trying. There's so many that I'm trying to remember. There's like. Uh, res and amplitude um there's there's so many that it's like they all kind of bleed together yeah um, even like the early like iphone tap tap revolution oh my god i remember that oh my god <laughs> all that. that i used to have that um for the ps2 like the ddr like foot pad that was like a carpet you rolled out oh yeah i i remember that too because in, in my middle school my middle school is one that like for gym class we would have d like two ddr pads that they would like let us play on uh mm-hmm. when we use the uh the weight machine room it was like <laughs> oh hey like here's like the station where you can play ddr <laughs> i was like so stupid but i loved it that was next to the Wii fit unfortunately they did not have the money for a Wii fit <laughs> <laughs> The yeah, that... that no matter how much you actually weighed, it told you you were obese and was like <laughs> yeah. the source of everyone's insecurities. <laughs> it led to what what 
I, I've said this thing wrong and I've been like, people think it's funny. It's like, was it Ozempkin, Ozempic, whatever it's called? <laughs> uh -huh. Like that we fit, uh, we fit in that have a, there. it's like a straight line. I feel like yeah. very linear, you know, <laughs> from that and then I'm on Wigovi now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like we fit is responsible for so many, uh, things that are become commonplace now. <laughs> um but space channel 5 is this like wonderful little as i said it's a time capsule it feels like it's like we were alluding to earlier with the dreamcast it feels so like of the early y2k pre-2000 where the vision of the future is so bright and colorful and technology is just so amazing and okay. you know everything is going to be amazing guys and you see that where the game takes place in the year 2499, uh, where apparently uh, light speed, I think, is like now just like, oh, yeah, that's that's fine. But apparently the biggest issue of the time is that no one's watching TV and <laughs> they're trying to find ways to make people to watch TV in the universe of Space Channel 5. <laughs> and you have our wonderful, beautiful guide through this universe. Ulala, who I think is one of my favorite designs ever for a character. Yes. Like it's it's perfection. She is one of the best female characters in gaming, I feel like. And I love how she she never got her just dues. I feel like she out of you know this, but like she had a they were gonna make an MTV show where she's gonna be the host. Yes. Yeah, we were watching that before. I just watched the pilot for that and I, yeah. I wish that that had taken off. It would have been perfect. Mm -hmm. It would have been so cool. And then she apparently they were gonna have Ulala uh be the presenter for the best music video of the VMAs in 2000, but that like never happened for some reason. That would have uh, been great. Yeah, and then we're her like Ulala and Space Channel 5's only because you know they were trying to market this game when the Dreamcast was still a thing. Like the mm -hmm. only thing that happened was that you saw uh, posters for the game in the Pussy. Was it the Josie and the Pussycats movie? Mm -hmm. And weirdly though, that movie kind of frames advertisements as bad and subliminal. So it's like, oh yeah, like this really cool game is being presented as a negative thing. For yeah. no reason. It's like, Ulala got done dirty. And I'm so mad about that. Yeah, completely. And I, I think, for me at least, like, the biggest charm for Ulala, if I could give, like, a credit to her voice actress, Apollo yes. Smile. Oh, my God. Um, I, like, was obsessed with Apollo Smile, like, growing up. I, like, remember trying to, like, look her up, um, you know, and recently like today we tried to look her up again and she she has like no internet presence like not doing anything recently good for um, her <laughs> good for her um yeah, good for her i think she's like a dance teacher in like where she's like in connecticut i think that's like all she does now no way she's yeah. don't, <laughs> don't, don't get my hopes up no uh like i remember seeing a video um that says like and it was from like two years ago and she's like oh yeah when they were trying to do the VR games and they wanted to like bring her back, apparently they couldn't get in contact with her because she had no like, she had finished doing voice acting, mm -hmm. and like she had retired to be a dance teacher in Connecticut, 
So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to verify this. <laughs> you got to fact check me live on air. <laughs> we're we're going to go find Apollo. Live on the scene. Uh, yeah, exactly. Matthew, go go to Connecticut and find her and report back live. <laughs> but yeah, it, like you said, Apollo Smile, she is the reason why I think Ulala is just perfect. Her yeah, sort of just has... chip chipper disposition, mm-hmm. like a lot of the lines in any other person probably would have been delivered like hokey or bad, but like Apollo just kind of sells it completely. Yeah. Um, her voice is so of the time like it's so y2k it's very very like um charming and also like at times sort of sultry like just adds so much like mm-hmm. depth i think to ulala yeah and she was like the perfect person too being like she was a host of a i think a sci-fi channel like anime show mm-hmm. and like she was i feel like and i remember there was like one picture of her where she's like in basically an ulala costume on the show and i was like <laughs> you were destined for this role and you didn't even know it mm-hmm. um but yeah ulala like is our little guide through this universe where tv is like the mainstay we have to bring tv back or you know make people watch it again and the way that's going to happen is through the the magic of song and dance uh <laughs> we're <laughs> The the basic way I can describe Space Channel 5 is that it's a Simon Says game where you get a call from the enemy and then you have to repeat it. And, you know, it's just you hear up, down, left, right, shoot. Like, that's all you hear pretty much mm-hmm. for the whole game. And in any other game, this would have been ear grating or like driving you mad. But the music in this game is so charming. Ulala is mm-hmm. so charming. Like you are just, it's such a game that brings, it always makes me happy just watching it or playing it, like, or listening to the music. Like it's just a happy game. Like hap- like it's just happiness overflowing. Yeah. And it's definitely a game that like, I feel like can teach you rhythm, like can mm-hmm. teach you how to anticipate and, mm-hmm. you know, be familiar with a sound like it's so funky and fun and just like very very charming yeah and like the i love that they could have composed like anything for the theme song for space channel 5 but they use and like an old 60s song called mexican flyer Mm -hmm. and it's it's like the perfect song it's the perfect Uh song for this type of game where your just your sensor your senses are over flooded or over uh, flowing with the music that's like a mixture of like dance music and 60s and fifth like 60s like big band and like doo-wop like all these like retro things but in the eyes of like a future world mm-hmm. and you got like the the art design of this game of these games is like so crazy too like again it's like that retro futurism thing where you got like everything's big bubbles and like bright colors and it's like just organic shapes made out of like i'm assuming it's like plastic you know again Mm -hmm. the y2k sort of thing and that super saturated color Mm -hmm. it's like 
It's like if Bioshock was like not scary or depressing. <laughs> That's so true. Um, <laughs> yeah, another straight line. Space Channel 5 walked so Bioshock could run. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, sp- like Space Channel 5 is not like on the surface level a very complex game, but I think, you know, like you said, it teaches you rhythm. It's it's. I know when a game is really good at like actually being about rhythm. When I'm starting to tap my foot to the beat, so I'm like I can hear things better or anticipate things better. Because mm-hmm. these games are not like easy. There is like a little bit of challenge. I will say, even for such a simple concept of pressing up, down, left, right, or pressing a button to shoot your your little gun that. Uh, you know your chew or your say or your shoot like um for such a simple premise like it still has like a fair bit of challenge like you have to keep the rhythm and remember what the the enemy uh says to you like mm-hmm. it's engaging enough like that i think that's the real joy of it is that it's not like it's not like turn your brain off and just enjoy the pretty colors sort of thing um, no, it's like you you've got to be like um cued in and paying attention. I tried to like make Matt play Once <laughs> Upon a Time and it gave him like a lot of No, it stressed me out. It yeah. stressed him out. He can he no, can you get... also like you're the expert and I'm supposed to be like I play the drums and Rachel's just like killing this game and I'm sucking. I just feel mad insecure. Like, <laughs> my ego is getting bruised cuz she just killing the game yeah so imagine my disappointment because now i I can't uh unlock all the two-player costumes (laughs) we can lock i can learn (laughs) all right so once this episode is done we're gonna have another boot camp session where you learn rhythm matt (laughs) um but yeah like but the game itself like i i feel like it you know, it's very responsive to you, both in the sense of like, if you're doing badly, the game lets you know that you are doing badly, where the music yeah. gets all off kilter and Ulala looks so sad. The she's bad like, dancing. She's like flopping around like a inflatable tube tube person, like just like, eh, eh. and then um, you're like, you're uh, um, you're, I guess he's like your companion slash like motivator um fuse yeah fuse and fuse fuse berates you at times if you fail like i think if you fail out in either one of these games he's like well i guess here's another disaster (laughs) hope you it's not a disaster like last time (laughs) or i love like her her little lines when she recognizes she's not doing well like in part two and like world two where you're supposed to save all the kids and like let's say you only get to save one of them and she's like well we saved them mostly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah like i love how the game is like it has this campy energy where it's it, it, it is both aware of the situation but it like kind of plays to not knowing what is going on like it's weird and for me like the first game like that sort of energy is kind of i still love the second one game don't get me wrong but i love how because the first game uses a lot of pre-rendered backgrounds like it just kind of adds this weird kind of like ethereal trippy world where everything is so crystal clean and perfect and Mm -hmm. you're the biggest threat in the world is that miss uh dr blank uh wants to mind control people to watch channel five more 
Mm-hmm. Like it's <laughs> it's so like silly, but so just like pure hearted and lovely. And another thing about the game that I loved is just kind of add like it just snowballs and adds more to it is like when you save hostages, they join your dance line and like copy your dance yeah. moves. So you, by the end of like uh of missions or reports, uh, you just get this big conga line of people just joining along. And if you save certain characters, like um Pudding's uh guitar player, I think, like you'll start mm-hmm. to hear a guitar line on top of the song, or um I forget who has the saxophone player. Um, but if you if you save the saxophone player, now you hear saxophone playing on top of the song. Like the it it's so like alive. Like the game world just really feels alive for being so simple. Mm-hmm. And it that's just it adds to like this whole universe is just like a bundle of joy to like experience. Um do we mention Space Michael? Not yet, no. <laughs> we just, we I love s- Space Michael. <laughs> we'll we'll save Space Michael for the end. Um <laughs> I will I will say about part two that I really love. Is that if I had to pick, I would pick part two probably in the end, mostly because it's just the first game, but better. Um, kind of going off how Ulala's design is perfect. All the supporting characters, like their designs, are perfect. Like putting obviously Pine. I love Pine. Like I love like this weird cowgirl with blue hair and like neon pink spandex pants. Mm-hmm. And she's the police. (laughs) Yeah, she's the police. You have you have Jaguar, uh, Mm -hmm. who's the space pirate, and then Pudding is your rival. Mm -hmm. Like, just like I love these names. They're so like adorably goofy. Like the president of the second game is what President Peace. Yes, President Peace. President Peace, and your enemy is Purge. Purge and the Rhythm Rogues. Yes. It's it's so like adorable. But Mm -hmm. like it's it's this like wonderful little and it was all thought out too. It wasn't like this game was just made. It's like, oh yeah, we're gonna make a game for girls. And it's like, let's just put every girly thing we could think of. Like it was all carefully thought out too. Like I remember reading how the producer of the game was like, yeah, how do, like, what do girls like for games and what do guys like for games? Girls like puzzle games, guys like winning games. So how do we bring the two together? And they're, they're, I I remember saying like they had a prototype of the game where the Ulala was actually a male character and Mm -hmm. how it, and then Ulala was much more well-received. Like, all the little elements that like you're thinking like wow such a crazy japanese game like how did they think about this it's like no they thought about every aspect of the game top to bottom and yeah you really it you can obviously see it when you're watching it but if you're playing it it just adds to it you know what i mean yeah it's very meticulous like down to all the details even like you know i love the the credits in part two it's like you you have to wait until the last uh robot walks this walks across the screen so you can see purge and get that final uh 
too. Yeah, the uh, fight before the the credits end. Yeah, I love how yeah both games do that where they they do the whole fake out on you, uh, mm-hmm. saying like, oh yeah, you don't have to press any buttons. Oh, think again. Here's this last button prompt. You don't want to not get your hundred percent now, mm-hmm. do you? <laughs> because if there's one thing yeah. that Space Channel Five, uh. If you like have to restart, you have to like restart from a long time ago in the report. And these reports can, I mean, they're not, yes, the games are not, the two games are not long, but the reports are long. Like they are like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes long. And it's like, well, you, you failed this report. Now you got to go all the way back like several minutes. Start this all yeah, over and if you're again. You're trying to get that like uh 100% clear report, and you missed that like one thing at the end. You got to like start the whole thing over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it adds to the replay value because you know the game's like all together like an hour and a half or so to beat the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So you got to have some sort of challenge, even if. I also love that like within the game, there's like a little bit of lore not a lot of it but like you know if you start kind of going through the character profiles and mm -hmm. reading the descriptions on the costumes you get like this idea of ulala and like some of the you know other background characters uh... Mm -hmm. look i got some lore right here in the in the book pamphlet you want to hear some of this (laughs) born may 30th 2477 at one eighteen a.m., she's a Gemini. Blood oh t- yeah, baby. Blood she's like me. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Says Ulala's mother is from a small country in East Nippon. Uh, her name was given to express the tone of this country, and her favorite hobby is dancing. Whatever she doesn't have, um, whenever she doesn't have an early work assignment the next day, she boogies till dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, side note. One, I miss when games had pamphlets. Two, mm-hmm. the pamphlets having like, um, like story inside of them that like you wouldn't get if you didn't play the game. Yeah. Uh, That's like yeah. yeah. Another thing, yeah, like you said, Space Channel Five. It's like very simple and like there's not really a plot, but there is a plot to it. But it's like mm-hmm. the little things that they do include actually are like kind of cute and sweet, like how. In, in the first game when the game opens and you have that one guy the the guy and the girl in the spacesuit like the guy saves her from space you're like mm-hmm. oh that's an interesting thing but like no that turns out that's kind of like in, uh, referencing how jaguar saved Ulala from space and yeah. it's like it's in this nice little moment it doesn't have to like do a grand like cutscene to like tell you like the backstory or anything it's just like oh if you pay attention you notice it it's like oh wow there's enough here to keep me going sort of thing yeah and it's one of those things where it's like and if you don't catch it in the beginning you you can still enjoy the game without Mm -hmm. having to know the backstory yeah the the story of these two games is not necessary to enjoy it but it's like a it's like the icing to this like a uh, little cake where again if you pay attention you're like oh wow that's like a nice little callback to the start of the game or um like if you've played part two and then it's like oh yeah pudding's here and now she has a guitar like <laughs> it's like just little things like add up onto itself and it just 
adds to that experience and uh yeah like these games are just very much like they're both of their time but they also feel so timeless but mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, the i don't know if it's epitome is the right word but it's just like when you look at the vr thing uh creation thing and it's like the magic's the parts most of it is there but it's not fully there you know what i mean and yeah i mean like part one and part two they have a similar kind of storyline setup but they're both pretty unique i feel like the art style in one um Mm -hmm. is kind of varies like between that sort of like 3d look and then having some boss fights have that sort of 2d animation going on as well um and then part two it's like completely different um you know you're not in like that mysterious void when you're like uh uh, i guess like battling somebody Mm -hmm. yeah Um, the vr game just felt very like void of that sort of like character and charisma that the first two games had um and just kind of like the music also you know a lot of it was just sounds that were reused from those first two games and also the vr doesn't have apollo smile so it's like like you already like even with the second game where they recasted a lot of the characters apollo (laughs) still was there like uh, she has a very particular sort of voice because, like, just comparing to the VR game, like, there's sort of a, like, uh, that whoever the voiceover did for that remake, like, sort of infantilizes the viewer or the uh, the player and, like, makes them feel, like, kind of stupid. But I feel like Apollo Smile's performance is, like, very timeless and and there's not it's not like self-serious but it's like like you said selling the role and to add to this universe that you're supposed to be like Mm -hmm. enraptured in yeah i mean like the vr version just kind of feels like you're on like a a ride at universal and there's somebody who's like dressed up as ulala who's like (laughs) guiding the tour yeah Mm -hmm. Um, yeah literally that's such a perfect way to describe it um (laughs) Yeah, like Space Channel 5 Part 1 and 2 feel of their time very much so, but I think because of that, it almost like transcends their own time period, Mm -hmm. but it very much was like the right people at the right time were there to make these two games, and anything that comes after that doesn't have like a vision or understands like what makes these two games special it almost just kind of feels like eh, like you're just kind of going by the books you're 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 just uh doing what you think is needed to get people interested or make fans happy um uh i think it's time i want to briefly mention space michael uh (laughs) i I, space michael is a thing in this game and it's uh, in the grand tradition of sega and Michael Jackson Jackson having a friendship of bizarro friendship. Michael Jackson is in both of these games. And yes. it's it's strange when you see it, and it's still like, wow. 
he's not just like playing some weird character like just some rando character he's playing no, himself he's just michael yeah yeah it's just michael and he in space. plays a very imperative part in part two <laughs> exactly like <laughs> and i love how literally he only came into the game because like a month before they released it apparently michael saw the game and he's like he really liked it and it's like uh he wanted to be put in the game and the developers are like yeah let's do it and they're mm-hmm. t- which is why in part one he doesn't have much of a role and in part two he has a much bigger role mm-hmm. um but just the fact that Michael Jackson plays himself in like an all silver spandex costume and he's and he's doing his moves and Ulala also does his moves like it's kind of in- incredible and yes. like it's just it's Space Channel 5 feels literally like oh yeah this is a game probably Michael would have came up with cuz like all the all the like aesthetics that are tied to the the locations of part one and two feel very much like they're from the music video for scream. Oh, uh, the Janet Jackson. Yeah. Like I, he must have saw that. And it's like, Oh, this must be, you know, you guys must have saw my music video. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that. There's that like one um, battle with like, it's like you and Michael and you're going down the elevator type. Yes. Thing. It's like my favorite part. One of my favorite parts. Like, <laughs> and, and uh, you, yeah, you go, sorry. You get like the evil, uh, bots as your uh, backup dancers and you're all doing like the Michael Jackson moves. Yeah. And he's like, I can't confirm this or not, but it sounds like he's like doing like scatting, like the beat. Yeah. He, like, I don't he, know if, I don't know if he did that. But it sounds like he did. I want to believe that he did. Because I yeah. feel like that whole beat is like, it's all Michael coded. It's like. Yeah. And it doesn't. I I don't think I've ever heard him do that. Like that exact thing in another song. Mm-hmm. Like a song of his. So I'm just like. the. I think that's so cool. And I think also just kind of reflects the fact that he got it. Like Michael got it. Like for mm-hmm. this game, he understood what it was all about and he had fun with it. Um, but yeah, like it's, I love that Sega and him have this like weird little com- the partnership throughout the years. Like there was the Moonwalker game that was tied in, you know, back in the 80s. He did the soundtrack for Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Um, partially before they kicked him out because of the allegations uh the first oh. one the first ones um but his music is still there um the credits theme for Sonic 3 is literally his song Strangers in Moscow it literally is um <laughs> and there's uh the mini boss theme in Sonic 3 is been confirmed made by him and his sound team um so he's still there but yeah, I just love how then he like shows up again for this like little rhythm game about a newscaster fighting off aliens and evil corp like evil news corporation people. Yeah, uh, and I love that he's just like he works for Space Channel Five. Like we don't know what his position is at this uh, <laughs> broadcast company, but it's just he's just there. Yeah, and I love, and I love that he doesn't have like a cool original name. His just name is Space Michael. 
Yeah, it's like it's not Michael Jackson. It's Space Michael. <laughs> there's a big, there's a clear distinction that this Michael is in space and also 400 years in the future. Yeah, this um, is a multiverse uh, uh, Michael Jackson. <laughs> Michael Jackson was reincarnated into like a similar body just so that he could be on a news channel. Uh, doing what exactly? No one knows. But dancing. he's just there. Yeah, he's just dancing when he's he joins Ulala when you know she gets a funky beat during the day. That's all you know. That's his whole point. Uh, I love I love that boss fight in particular. There's a lot of thing about Space Channel Five too. Is like when the environment becomes part of the of this like the call and response. Mm-hmm. So it's like you see the walls light up in different co- color and then responds to the input. Um, oh, I love. If I if you're referencing like that little you know uh, post like we think Fuse dies and like uh, Ulala has like that black and pink uh, outfit with the sunglasses mm-hmm. and it's like the the wall is giving the inputs but it's not even saying like if it's up or down or left or right. Yeah, I and this was even present in like the first game. Like the there's one boss fight I forget its name. Uh, where it's like the two things that like stretch up and down, left and right, yeah. uh, to represent the inputs. I love how, you know, the game could have gotten so repetitive just seeing like character models pointing up and down and left and right, but they found ways mm-hmm. to actually make it interesting, and as a result, makes like the whole world of these games just so vibrant and alive. Um. Yeah, I, I think two does that a lot better mm-hmm. from my memory. I just think of like when you're you're running with Michael and I think Pine through the like polka dot rooms and you just see like the little robots mm-hmm. and the polka dots, like they line up like where they're pointing and like they're in that design and you have to like follow the the route that they showed up on to uh pass that little segment. I think that's just such a cool little yeah a cool little thing that like you may not notice it on your first time but like once you realize it it's like oh this just adds more to this really fun time. Uh Yeah. And I just love like you know all the nuance on in in that that's like not explicitly told to you like I always just interpreted like you know she's got the sunglasses on because she's like you know sad that like her i guess like in part two it's like her father figure uh newscast uh director like sacrificed himself to save her and you know it's very Mm -hmm. like touching i think yeah it all just like little things that just add up to it and i love how i love how both endings to the games are just this ginormous celebration like yeah you know they both have very similar endings where Ulala thinks she's down on her luck and she's the enemy is one but all her friends start singing along to the mexican flyer song mm-hmm. and like this big acapella group and like Ulala gets the spirit to dance again and she ultimately defeats the bad guy and then to sort of celebrate they they are like walking on this light bridge they're dancing to that conga line it's like we're gonna spread music and you know our in our dance across the galaxy 
Like it's so just like pure hearted and fun. Like you don't, I don't obviously like a game like that could happen. I mean, they tried with the VR stuff, but I don't think any game now would capture just the like unfiltered, just pure joy that these two games like imbue to the universe. It's kind Yeah, of, and I it's, love that, like, the message of, like, togetherness and love that both of the final bosses in the games get, like, both Purge and Blank. It's like, you know, what is love? And it's like, it's just, like, just very wholesome. Yeah, it's it's that very like hap, you know, happy-go-lucky just like with it reminds me of the Persona games where it's like my friends are my power sort of thing and through friendship even like even characters who are your rival like pudding like they come together to help you ultimately do what's right for the uni the galaxy and Our our lesson learned is that we have to spread this positivity to everywhere in the world, like everywhere in the literal galaxy on this light bridge of like bright and colorful characters that just, you know, everything's perfect and we are going to spread this perfectness to everyone. And it's just, it just like ends on that. And it's so genuinely like it just, the, these games just genuinely make me happy. Like there's no ill will or like, cynicism present this is this is the world of space channel 5 and you are going to you are going to smile you know um Yeah. yeah it i yeah just That's think, weird. thinking yeah just i'm so grateful that these games exist and it, i mean on one hand is it sad that they didn't continue of course like would I have loved a Space Channel 5 Part 3? Of course I would. But in a way, I'm kind of glad that Space Channel 5 had its moment in the sun and people kind of just remember fondly about so many things, whether it be ooh la la or the music or the art or just the message or whatever. There's so much to love about these two games. Um <clears throat> Yeah, and I think she still is getting like her roses now with like the cyclical nature of things like on, you know, on TikTok, I've noticed like this sort of, I don't know what the the new branding for it is for like this Y2K like internet um aesthetic, but she's kind of like, I guess like the sort of face of it. I've seen so many videos where you know, people sort of reminisce on this time and they like include ooh la la and like her style um, as part of this sort of culture. Um, so it's nice to think that like new people who don't know this game or who don't know who she is will like come to appreciate it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I guess to kind of put a, a bow on this is that everyone should play either of these games. Obviously, it's a little harder to play the first game, but if you can find a means to play part two because part two it's actually on steam yeah it's on pc so it, and it's not like you need an incredibly powerful computer to play them no like you can mm -hmm. if you have like a probably a generic laptop in the last 10 years you can play this game yeah. um but if you if you're a dedicated third place listener and you want and you have a dreamcast or a ps2 just find that 
PS2 copy that includes both games on uh, two discs. So uh, everyone should play these two games because mm-hmm. they just they're just a good time. Like they're yeah. just, I can't say anything more than it's just like these are fun games and they're gonna give you a great time. Yeah. So um, I want to thank you. Or sure. do you have any closing thoughts on Space Channel Five and Part Two? Um, I guess just I wanted to see like what your what part of um the games is like the one that scratches your brain the most if there's one i think on like these games always scratch the itch for me it's just because of that rhythm gameplay where it's just like (laughs) i've always been that type of person with a rhythm game where it's just like i have to if i don't get a hundred percent on it i'm going to come back to it sort of thing and the fact that the game encourages you to come back with costumes and all that like yeah. There's it, it scratches an itch for me in the sense of like I guess you could say perfectionist need. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like all rhythm games kind of do that for me, like get a better score or hey, I can unlock this if I do X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um but I thank you for joining me tonight, Rachel. This has been yeah, thank fun. You for you're you are the first official gamer girl on the show. <laughs> Uh, well, so... I'm glad we could talk about games with female protagonists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I listen. I love I love talking about my girls in gaming. Uh, <laughs> I did that with Laura Croft uh, back at the start of the year, so it's nice to give Ulala her flowers. So I thank you for coming along, and I thank Matthew for joining us from the Peanut Gallery. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I think that's a love. <laughs> this is a lovely place to stop. Oh.